You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, titled, How God's Word Changes Us, from the series, 40 Days in the Word. For more info, please visit creekside.org. If you would take your Bibles, I just want to read the scripture that we started with really focused on last week, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is really the foundation of what we're talking about here uh, for the four weeks. I want to welcome you back, second, uh, second week of 40 days in the Word. You know what I've learned? The Bible is unlike any other book. That's why it's called the Holy Bible. Holy means set apart. But this book is totally different. I have, I have great books. I got some great books from a wide cross-section of different studies and just reading. And I got books. I got, I don't know, hundreds of books in my library at home and my library here. This book is the greatest because it's alive and it's the Word of God. Last week we noted it's not just human or an ordinary book. It's not made up of a bunch of fables, nor is it just a history of Israel. The Bible calls it theonoustos, which means it is God-breathed. It's from the heart and the mind of God. And this is the one book that has the power to change lives because it's not simply ink on paper. It's not words on papyrus. It is comes from the heart of God. The Bible has the power to change lives. There are hundreds or hundreds, there's many of us in here and in the services that would say that. I would say it unequivocally. This has changed my life. It is God's word. It is inspired. It is infallible. It is the inerrant word of God. If you don't believe that, and some of us are in different journeys, are in different places in our journeys, but if, if ultimately, if you don't research it and believe that, then much of what we do and much of what Christianity is about isn't going to make much sense to you, nor is it going to have a real life and vitality for your life. I see a lot of people that never move forward in their faith because they want to, they want to be able to determine what they believe and don't believe in this book. You can go online, and if you want to, you can find the Thomas Jefferson Bible. The Thomas Jefferson Bible is... The Bible, he took it, and he took all of the miracles out of the New Testament. And he basically said, you know, it's a great book. I just don't believe in the miracles. And, and a lot of people do that. I, that's great, boy, it's great literature. But it's not just literature. It's the Word of God. And if we don't believe that, we don't live our life on it, we're going to be in trouble. I believe that's why our culture struggles so much. is because there's no ultimate authority. Bible says back in the book of Judges, everybody did what they wanted to do. They did what was right in their own mind. And that's when cultures get in trouble. That's when families get in trouble. That's when churches get in trouble. That's when any entity begins to where there's this mass. I'm just going to do what I think is right. and I'm going to do what I feel. But, but God's word gives us this wonderful and powerful authority on what to believe and how we're to live because it shows us God. When you don't have an ultimate authority, you base everything on, on conventional wisdom, the culture of the day, or your own personal feelings. If I were to write this book today, we would be in a heap of hurt. And I think if most of you were to write it today, we would. Because you would look around and based on your experience and what you think and believe about what should happen in culture, you would do most of your writing and we would be in trouble. That's why this is inspired. As a matter of fact, our denomination, some of you don't know this, I don't talk a lot about it. I'm highly invested in it, submitted to it. But our denomination is called Open Bible. When the founders set our denomination up, come out of Foursquare Assemblies of God, uh, at that same time, when, when they set it up, they said, we're going to be open Bible because we're going to believe God's Word. And that's what we're going to build our denomination on. It was really two, two points, God's Word and the work of God's Spirit in people. And this is just really important. And that's why this year we're going to, and it's not like we don't emphasize it, but we're having this emphasis this year is to really make sure that we're getting people grounded 
into God's Word. Because the Word of God is powerful, most powerful thing in the universe. We understand this. Genesis 1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into existence. Hebrews 1 tells us that. Literally, the universe and the world is framed and held by His Word. He withdraws His Word, changes His Word. What happens? It all falls. So we see how powerful it is. God speaks and it happens. Psalm 33, 6 says this, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. Now, some people might want to call that the big bang. That's all right. Because if they want to believe that, that's fine. Because here's what I know. In that same split second that these stars were spewed out, it's because God spoke the word. And it takes, I don't know about you, but it takes an enormous amount of faith to believe that all of a sudden there is this cataclysmic coming together and it all just come together in this incredible happening. And we're even seeing now that, that, you know, that there's more people, more scientists that are believing in original design, that there was a designer, that there was a creator that was a part of this. And to me, it just takes a lot of faith to believe that all of a sudden something just happened. There is this cataclysmic configuration of things coming together and all of it, we get this order and this chaos. And then out of, the, out of that order and chaos, out of the water, all of a sudden there's these, what do they call them, primordials or something that just begin to kind of come ooze out of the water and and here we are, all you good-looking people. <laughs> That's hard for me, that it was just an accident. So I want us to remember that God's Word speaks to all these incredible things, and it's so powerful. John six thirty three. Jesus said, The words that I've spoken to you, they're spirit and they're life. Jesus says, I speak. He says, These aren't just words that I'm speaking. They're spiritual. They have a dynamic and a power to them. They can transform society. They can transform culture. They can transform a home, a family, a church, a life, if people will embrace them. It's more than just simply words. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and it's alive. It's active. The Word of God, the word there where it says alive, uh, it's in, in the original language, it's the word zoe. That's where we get our word zoo and, and zoology. So there's an activity to it. Um, the, the word active is energos, which we get the word energy from. There's an energy behind it. God's Word, remember Hebrews says, uh, Hebrews 4.12 talks about it, that it penetrates to every deep crevice and recess in our heart, our soul, even to the bone and the marrow, to the deepest parts of our life. It works like this scalpel in Mark chapter 2. It talks about Jesus as he kind of infers to himself as this physician. He's the great physician that comes to bring healing and health. And when this Bible is operated because it says we find him in here, that he's the living word, that as we encounter Jesus through the word, it's almost like this great doctor with a scalpel in his hand that can come and extricate all of the stuff out of your heart and your life and your soul. It can remove the sin. He doesn't come with a chainsaw, you know, and cuts you up. He doesn't come with a skill saw that cuts this way and tears you apart. He comes with this scalpel, and he just begins to cut and to extricate from your life through the power of the living word. That's why we come to this book, because that's what it will do. There are things, I'm sure that there's a number of people even in this room right now that, you know, you, you say, man, there's things in my life I really want to change. And maybe there's things that you've been working on for a number of years and they still haven't changed. The Word of God will almost always be part of that because there's things we can't change on our own loved ones. We've got to have the power of the Word. A great preacher from 100 years ago who... Um, his name is D.L. Moody. He started Moody Bible College. He said this. He said, the Bible wasn't given to increase your knowledge. It was given to transform and to change your life. And we can never forget that. So I want to look at just a few things today, a number of things that, that the Bible comes to do. And the first thing it does, it comes to change me and to recreate my life. Well, what do you mean? Well, it means that God always, he, he always gives people this fresh start. It's like a do-over, a start-over. It's like a mulligan in golf. That was bad start. Let's do it again. The Bible calls it in John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking to this, this Pharisee, and his name is Nicodemus, and it says that he's talking to him at night, so we call him Nick at night. So he's, 
he meets this guy and he confronts him. He says, listen, Nick, you've got to be born from above or born again. And that's what the first thing that God comes to do in our lives. James 1.18 says that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, spiritual birth. We call it salvation. And salvation isn't just getting getting an asbestos suit out of hell. Uh, the, 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 The understanding of salvation is that God wants to bring wholeness to every area of your life, but that becomes the ultimate thing that we all want to experience so we can have heaven. But it comes through the word of truth. Without God's word, we wouldn't know that we were headed for heaven because we wouldn't know there was a heaven. We wouldn't know that we needed the person of Jesus Christ because we wouldn't have read about it and heard about it through the stories that have been passed down. We wouldn't hear about what Jesus did on the cross. This book gives us insider information about history, about science, about life and ultimately about the author. This is the one book where you can always spend time with the author, God, who comes not just to give us information, but he comes to be with us and to reveal himself and to give us a relationship. God is not silent. He reveals himself because he wants us to know him. That's why Timothy, that's why Paul, as he writes to Timothy in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says these words that are very, uh, very powerful. And he says this, From a child you have known the holy scriptures, which were able to make you wise unto salvation. It is this book, it is these scriptures that show you the way to a relationship with God and ultimately to heaven. That's why James says, Humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save your soul. It recreates us, loved ones. And secondly, God's word can, can, in your life can eradicate guilt and, and regrets. I love this. I don't have to live with the guilt or past regrets. Jesus came to deal with the shame in my game. He came to deal with the stuff in my life, the junk in my trunk. I hear people all the time, it's not unusual, at least a couple of times a month where I'll encounter somebody in the community. Oh, I can never go to church. Got too much stuff. You know, man, if I go in there, the walls will come down and the ceiling will fall. I mean, people really believe that. Or I'll sit with some of you in a counseling session in my office and you will say, it's been years, I'm still carrying this around. And hear me, loved ones, nobody has to live with a low Great degree of guilt. Jesus came to remove it. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And remember, I think I said it recently, confession is not for God, it's for you. Everything has been dealt with at the cross. Everything has been forgiven, it's been nailed. You can be triumphant, Colossians chapter 2 says. But here, sometimes we gotta confess it and we gotta trust that God goes, Okay, I'm going to set that right there, and I'm just going to leave it there, Lord. That's yours. Psalmist said something like, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our sins from us. Romans 8.1 says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not out to get you. He is not going to punish you. He took care of the punishment by what he did on the cross, the essence of the gospel the good news of what Jesus Christ did. As you continue reading in that same chapter, Romans 8.1 starts off with, there's now there, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. About 12, 13, 14, and 15, it also talks out that the Spirit of God has given to us this understanding and this ability to be able to go, Abba, Father, this whole new relationship and encounter with our Heavenly Father, the living God, that He's the one that doesn't condemn us. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk probably in between the end of this series and the next one, I want to talk about just crossroads with Christ. Because a lot of times we get really wishy-washy too in church, and we get so free with this no condemnation and God deals with our guilt that we forgot, forget that we still have responsibilities of how we live. And I'm going to talk about that. But right now, never for, you don't have to live with guilt. 
You don't have to live with regrets, regrets when it comes to the thing of God. We are dealing with Father God, not the Godfather who tries to track us down. And that's how most of the world out there sees it, that God is the cosmic killjoy who wants to deal with our stuff and point it out. No, he wants to deal with it so he can heal us and help us. But it's Numbers 32, 23 that makes this very clear statement. Be careful and know that your sins will find you out. It's not that God's going to track you down, but he set in motion that those things that we do will cause us the problems. And as we embrace his word and we release the guilt and we live in the fullness of his spirit and what his word says, guess what? We're not going to be doing the same things that we, done, that we used to do. And then we get to live in the glory and grace of his forgiveness. The Bible is given to cleanse our lives. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says, Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her to make her holy. Remember, holy is just a wonderful word that really means to be set apart to God. Set apart from this, set apart to God. And he says it makes her holy. It sets the church, you and me, apart to Christ by the washing with water through the word. What does that mean? It means when you begin to read this book, loved ones, when you study it, when you embrace it, when you engage it, it washes your mind. It cleanses your heart. It removes the grit, the grime, the junk. And it begins to bring healing and health to every area so you're not carrying that around anymore. So here you go, you're reading the Bible one day. This is how it works. Hopefully you don't just read it and go, oh yeah, that's cool, yeah, right on. And be done, close it up and say, okay, check. Got my time in today. Hopefully you go to it and you say, Jesus, I want to counter you through your spirit in this book. Speak to me, show me, teach me, guide me, lead me. So one day you're reading and all of a sudden you go, oh, oh, I got to change that thinking to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. And all of a sudden you go, wow, i kind of been spending a lot of time in lust. i got to change that. I want to live godly. Lord, just scrub my mind. Forgive me. That's how God's word begins to cleanse us and to change us. And that should be kind of one of those ongoing things. It doesn't come like this condemning way. It just with conviction that says, I want better for you. And that's how we want to live. God's word activates your faith as well. See, most, most people are not confident. They're not courageous. You ever notice that? A lot of people are really afraid to take risks. Most of us have a fear of failure, afraid of dying, filled with all kinds of fears. I remember I tell the, I don't know if I, I probably told this, but I, I have, I think. But I was afraid to come here for a lot of different reasons. I was really scared. I was just young, and I didn't want to be the guy that caused a lot of problems. And so I was really scared, but then God said, he gave me a word, and he said, I've called you, and, and I came. When you read people in the Bible, and if you really don't read about them in totality, you just look at these people in the Bible, you thought, well, they did great exploits, and they go, whoa, how do they do that? Oh, I wish I could do that. You know, if you really read it close, you know what you're going to find? Most of the people in the Bible had about an ounce more courage than they did fear. And why is that? It's because somehow they heard God, God spoke to them, and God spoke to them and taught them, and, 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 and they go, okay, God, you said it, so I'm going to do it. And they believed it. And they moved on it. That's what faith is, because faith through the word activates and grows our faith. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, the message of God. The more you hear the message, the more you hear the word, then the more it should activate and strengthen your faith. I was 18 when my... Um, and I got stuff falling all over the place. What a mess. When I was 18, I, Trina's mother gave me a Bible, and I was barely even a Christian yet, and she gave it to me, and she wrote in the front cover, and she said, here's a life verse for you, Philippians 1, 6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
that has got me through so much deep kimchi and weeds and trouble and everything in my life. Because every time I fail miserably, every time I am unsure, I always go back to that verse, I am confident that God began something in this old boy. And that becomes, just gives me just enough enough courage to overcome the deep fears and insecurities that I've often had throughout my life. And I say that to every one of us. Have you ever read a verse in the Bible where all of a sudden you thought, wow, I can do this. Wow, I can move forward. Wow, I can take this step. Wow, that, yes, I'm going to do it. You know what that is? That's simply God activating your faith through his word. And that's why we talk about this Bible so that it will do that. See, if you read a self-help book, it says, okay, listen, if you really want to succeed, quit worrying because people will see that, know that you're worried, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's great. That's helpful. But it doesn't necessarily tell you how to stop worrying. And because that self-help book isn't alive, it doesn't empower you. But then you come to this book, and you're a worry wart. And all of a sudden, it says something like this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Pray about, it says, worry about nothing. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And not only is it saying, don't worry, it tells you what to do is the antidote to it, and then it says, I'm going to empower you to do it. Because two chapters earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, what God has worked in you, you can work out. If he doesn't want you to worry, he says, I can work it in you so you don't, but you've got to be able to change your mind and your thinking. And here's the antidote. Here, take this in. Don't worry, pray, and I'm going to empower you to do that because this book is alive and it's full of power. See, when I read these thousands of promises in the Bible where God says this, it begins to not only increase my faith, but my expectation and confidence in what God can do in and through me. Why? Because I know this. I can be confident God started something in me. Guess what? So can you. God doesn't go, well, Terry's a preacher, so he's kind of got a head start on everybody, because I really don't. I think I was telling the men on Friday, and I'm uh, most of, a lot of my life, I was probably as insecure and all of that as anybody. Lack confidence, except in a couple of areas. I tell people now, oh boy, what's it like not being nervous when you have to stand in front of people and talk? I says, I don't know. (laughs) It's a different nervous now, but every Sunday I am nervous. Just ask for a service. They'll tell you. Tell you a story that uh, I've only told only a few people here know about. And I'll probably, I've said for six, six, uh, I've said for five years I'm going to do a talk on it. I probably still will sometime, but I think it fits for where we are today. It was 2012. It was one of the more difficult seasons in my ministry life. Not because of what was going on here. Uh, the church is actually doing really well. And I, uh, but I was traveling. I was taking on extra responsibilities, uh, new staff. And, um, and then all of this stuff was just, pre- I just in a full court press mode for a long time. And then it's a new, the, the new year came. And like within about two and a half months, I think I did eight funerals. And um, two of them were very tragic. And so it's the middle of February. I'm in my eighth one. It was the most tragic and kind of close to Creekside as any of them were. But, the, you know, there's, there's, there's just this, you know, you continually give out and you deal with these emotional things. And there just begin to be these layers because I'd always pride myself on being able to do whatever I needed to do to get through and just keep going, keep going. And it really was kind of a point of pride. And I just kept going. And uh, literally, I was, had a stool right here. And I was sitting here while people were coming up and talking about uh, the, trage- the, the tragedy of the person passing. And I was sitting there listening. All of a sudden, I just kind of lost myself. 
I couldn't remember what I was, I really couldn't figure out what am I, 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 I got to get up here. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? And I've always got notes, but I mean, I was just like lost. And I, and, and, and I, and I, I was able to get through that ceremony and I got through it and everything. And, and um, that was mid-February and I, I got through it and I battled through and just had some really emotional times and I was golfing. It was the day of, uh, it was Easter service that day. I think we'd done five services. We'd done two the day before and three that day. And somebody said, let's go golfing. And so I thought, yeah, that's probably what I need. And I was at the golf course, uh, Contra Costa. And um, I was at the driving range and I picked up a couple of balls out of the bag there just to hit. And I picked up this one. Can't see it. Probably should have made a picture of it but it was run over by a tractor. It's sliced up, it's nicked, and there's no guts in it, nothing. And I picked it up, and I don't know if it was the Lord saying it or if I just said it, but I said, that's me. I feel like I've been cut up, I feel like I've been nicked, and there's nothing in me right now. I am as empty as empty could be. And I think I had a council meeting or something and, and they could tell that I was just not in a good place emotionally and and I want to ask what's wrong and I kind of started to unpack it I didn't know because I'd never been there before and they graciously said you know something let's uh, let's let you go away for a couple of weeks and they got me some intensive counseling which I'd always kind of prided myself on that I never had counseling in my life it was always the book of Proverbs that really taught me and they were kind of concerned that because I was always the practitioner and never the patient that I wouldn't go, but I was in such a deep, difficult place, I said, I'll go. And so I ended up leaving. You know, and it's, it's the old saying that someone said it this way, that when you're going through hell, what do you do? Keep going. You don't stop. And, and that's what I was in. I was just keeping going. I didn't stop. I wasn't going to stop. I was going to keep going. But these wonderful men said, we're going to send you away. So I went away for two weeks. And I think it's important, I tell you that for a couple of reasons, that number one, stuff happens in life. Whether you're a preacher or a great Bible student, whatever you are, sometimes things happen not because we're sinners, but because we're human. And we've got to remember that. But during that time, I learned some skills and character things that I would have never learned through the grace of God and through this book. I needed my faith activated. And I know some of you would go, well, you're a preacher. What the, you know, well, how come you didn't get it on the front end? Because sometimes you know, personality and everything else and who we are gets in the way of that. Well, you may know what to do, but it doesn't always mean you're going to do it, or you allow life. You know the old saying that you can't see the forest because of the trees. I was in the midst of such big trees that I couldn't see the forest. I was sitting in one of the counseling sessions, and his name was Hud, and he said to me, he said, your confidence can no longer be in you anymore. Your confidence has to be in the grace of Christ. Now, I've probably told people that a hundred times, but when he looked at me and he said that with his steely blue, saged, wise eyes, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. He said, you've been trying to prove yourself all your life because he did all this history of my family and blah, blah, blah. And he said, now this is about you working in the grace of Christ. And he gives me this verse. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15.10. He says, by, by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not ineffective. You know what he's saying there? It's almost like what he said to me in uh, Philippians 1. Listen, be confident. I've started something in you. The grace that you've experienced is not ineffective. This is not the end. However, Paul says, I worked more than any of them. And I could relate to that. But then he said, yet, not I, but God's grace that was in me. And so HUD begins to drill down deep and say things like, it's not about you, bro. 
You better tap into the one that you're talking about in a new and different level. And here's the deal, that his word was a word to me, but then he gave me the word, which began to speak and change the direction of my life. And from this verse, I thought of an old sailor, how he responded when he got frustrated, he was unsure of himself or didn't know what to do. Popeye never went to therapy. He was a very unsophisticated man. But what did he say? I am what I am, and that's all that I am. And I could begin to think, that's who I am. I'm not much, but I am what I am, and God's at work, and i got to never forget that. And, 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 and I thought, I wonder if Popeye got that from that verse where Paul said, I am what I am, and by God's grace. And I began to realize I could spend my life serving Jesus Christ at his pace, not mine. And he gave me these three things, and I journaled them, and I just I looked at the journal yesterday. My source of my identity is through the grace of Christ, not me, what I do. My motivation is to work hard, but driven by grace, not ambition or proving myself. The resource is not me. It's Jesus Christ and his spirit that works in me. And those words begin to reshape and build my faith. And they challenged me and reminded me that my confidence isn't in me, but it's in Christ who began his work in me. And it's amazing how the word begins to shape us and to break us and then to rebuild us and to help us to fulfill what God's called us to do. And for some of you today, that's a word. Thomas Akempis said this, a good devout, a devout person first arranges inwardly the things that need to be done outwardly. And you've heard me use some of that language in the last couple of months, how God's rearranging the furniture of my soul. You know what? I wish I didn't have to tell you that. But that's my reality. I'm a mess. And so are you. Some of us are just bigger messes than others. But I thank God that he promised that he's going to work in me. And the only way that happens, loved ones, is through this book. And sometimes it starts with a word from somebody else because this latest reworking started by a word from somebody else that drove me to this word. And now I go, oh, yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I get it. And now there's this vibrancy, and I just got to keep on track. Do you understand that? This is the power of this word. Then God wants to stimulate our growth. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is talking to the, he's, he's in the process of getting ready to leave the people of Ephesus that had just that he'd started the church with. It was probably the greatest church in the New Testament. And Paul is leaving and these people and the elders, they're weeping over him because they both know they will probably never see him again. And this is what he says, I commit to God and to, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up, stimulate your growth, and give you an inheritance among all those who have been sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. It's kind of like holy. It means to be set apart from something to God. What's an inheritance? Well, it's like being part of a family that's rightfully yours. I mean, let's just say your dad was Bill Gates, and let's just say he wrote his will and he died. Now, if you never took time to hear and to read that will, that would not be smart. Would you agree? Because being an heir of Bill Gates gives you things that are rightfully yours that you would be benefiting from if you were his son or daughter. But if you don't embrace and you don't engage in that will and read it and hear it and take the benefits, you don't get it. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ and you trust him for salvation in your life, you are a believer and you become a belonger to his family. And with every family comes privileges and responsibilities and an inheritance. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that we have this inheritance that's for now uh, in, this, in this world, but our ultimate inheritance is with Jesus Christ in heaven. And you know God's a little bit wealthier even than Bill Gates. 
And if Bill Gates, you know what he could do for you. God says, would you be in my word because you'll learn what I can do for you. If you don't, if you go through your entire life and you are not pursuing God's words, you're missing out on the power and the opportunities then to understand the blessings and benefits and privileges that are available to you as a child of God. That's why we can live with a low grade of guilt because we don't have Ephesians 1 where he says, you're my son and daughter, that I come to forgive you and to release you. And not only that, but I'm going to give you this instead of that. And if you don't embrace that and read it and hear it, it's like having a will that you don't ever participate or take part in. That's why 2 Peter 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed. How does God help us grow? He uses four things. The way God gets you ready for life to be able to face life. And hear me when I say these things, sometimes people look at the Bible and they go, man, it's so strict, it's so rigid, it's so this, it's so that. These are the very things you would teach your kids. Have you ever heard them say that? Why, are we, why is our family so strict? You know? How come we can't do what everybody else does? Well, it's like I used to tell my kids. Number one, you're a Riley. And number two, this is what we go by. So what, is, what does Paul say to Timothy? He says this, I want you to teach, which is really doctrine. And that's to show us what to do. He says, I want you to reproof, which is rebuking. It's to tell you and show you what not to do. I want there to be correction. That shows us what to do when we didn't do what we were supposed to do and we careened over the guardrails of God's grace and now we got to come back and we got to say, Lord, forgive me. Now what do I do? That's what correction does. It gets us back in line. That's what you do with your kids, isn't it? Listen, you made this, you, you, you did this over here. These are the consequences. Now let's get you back on track. And then there's the instruction to show us how to stay within the guardrails of grace and to live in that and not go over the edge again. Paul says these are the four ways that God's going to help build your life. And those are the very things that we do with our kids. At least I hope you do. And see, God's this incredible father. He says, you know, I'm not here to make your life tough. I'm here to grace it with glory and blessing and growth. And he says, I want God's word. God's word comes to help us to, to illuminate our minds. How does God turn on the light? Well, Psalm 119, 130 says that, there's an, uh, that, that understanding your word brings light to the minds of ordinary people. How many of you are ordinary? Uh, most of us. There's a few real sharp ones in here. A couple of 100 watt, 100 watt bulbs. You know, the rest of us are 25 or 50, but you know, most of us are ordinary. And he says that this light can come to everybody. God wants us to use his word to bring light to every one of our minds. Do you hear that? Everyone. John 1, 9 says that God gives light to every person. He illuminates himself and people with in their minds with truth to who he is. He can tell you what your next steps can be, new direction to take in your life, how to navigate your feelings and foibles and things that you're facing right now. So how does he do that? Well, Proverbs 1.19, which happens to be the longest chapter in the book, and it's all about the Bible. Some of you might go to the Bible and you go, wow, I'm not getting any light out of it. That happens to me too. There's days I'll be reading, I go, huh, okay. That's probably about one out of three days that happens. Where it just goes, you know what I'm reading today, just, it's no big deal, it's not, I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not speaking to me. That's not bad, because I know that what I just read today is going to affect me in a week or two weeks or three weeks, and somehow God's going to use that down the road, just like you ate three weeks ago, you can't remember what you ate, but it still affects your life today and is giving you nutrients for what you're experiencing today. That's how God's word works because it's alive and it's active. But most of the time we'll be reading it and then all of a sudden it will dawn on us. Oh yeah, the light kind of goes on because we're living in the light of his word and it dawns on us. Psalm 119, 99 says this, I have more insight than all my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. We talked about that last week in our small groups. The importance of meditating, thinking about it, 
pronouncing it and spending time. And we did that for just a few minutes. It was incredible in just the group that I was in, some of the insights that people had. It was powerful because they were focusing their mind on God's word. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. He turns this light on so we can have what? Direction in our life through his word. A lamp is for close walking. The light is for further off walking. When this was written, they would oftentimes put a little candle and kind of a lamp that they would carry so as they were walking in the evening, they could see where they were going. And it was basically so they could see close by. So now some of you, you know, you got your phones and you have a flashlight on that. You ever use that on your phone? So now today we can say, your word is an app unto my feet. Okay? Now, here's, here, here's the hard lesson. If I'm holding a flashlight and I'm waiting for more light down the path, how do I get more light down the path? Okay, see, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm like this, I got this lamp here for, you know, make sure I don't stumble, but now I want to get going. I want to get moving. I'm looking down there. How do you get that? See, a lot of us get stuck in places in our lives because we're saying, God, I can only see so far. Could you give me some more light? You know what God's saying? Start walking. Trust me. Have some faith. Because the only way, see, I don't know how far I could get with this light in the dark, but at some point it can only go so far. And to get more light, I got to get more faith. And I got to be able to walk. And the more I walk, the more God says, okay, now I'm going to make that light larger. And that's what we want to do. We want to be in the Word because that's how God moves us forward because the light gets greater as we trust and follow Him. So God's Word can also elevate my mood. Some of you need a mood lift today? Down, feeling a little grumpy, like nobody cares, having a pity party, and you're inviting yourself. See, whenever you get discouraged... Go to God's Word. You don't need a coffee break. You don't need a TV break. You need a word break because God says, I give this to you to encourage you. Romans 15, 4 says, everything that was written in the past, talking about the Bible by the prophets, he's saying this, was written to teach us so that we could, uh, so that through endurance, that we could keep going, and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We get endurance because we see other people made it. We get encouragement so that in the end part, we get to have hope. You're going through a difficult time and you need some hope. This is where you'll get encouraged to be able to make it through. The next time you get discouraged, don't go listen to Dr. Phil, okay? Go to Dr. Luke, Okay? Spend a little time alone with the living God and he'll encourage you. Psalm 119.14 says this, I love this. You are my place of quiet retreat. I wait for you, Lord, to renew me. See, most people, we live for uh, others' expectations and approval of others. We worry about what they're going to think and your life gets limited. You know by what? by some of the things that you've heard over the years. Some of you grew up with parents or people around you that said, you know what, you're never going to amount to much. You can't do anything right. Whoever said you could do that? And those things begin to replay and play in our mind, or even our own mind, we begin to think, who am I to think I could do this or that when I feel like God spoke to me? And so we begin to get stuck in the recesses of that tape. And so your life then begins to get limited by that. Can I tell you something? You don't know the potential in every life in this room that God has for you. Your wife, your husband, your children, your closest friends don't know your potential, but the living God does. And I believe he has impregnated every one of us with dreams. But so many people go and they die and their dreams get buried with them because we don't believe what God says we could do, we could do. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You will know the truth and the truth 
this book will set you free. Why am I here today? Why do I get to do this thing that I get to do? I'll tell you why. It's not because I'm good. I'll tell you, it's because God said, I I want you to do this. And I go, okay, you know. And it was incremental. I was in college playing basketball. God goes, okay, I want you to finish Bible college. I only want a year. No, 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 you're going to go now, you're going to finish, okay? And, and, and he just incrementally took me through this process. And, and, and I, still, I, I still don't get why I get to do what I do. And some of you, I want you, I, I do now, I get it, I get it because of God and his grace and that he said this uh, about confident that he's going to use me. But I want, I want you to hear this because some of you look around and you don't believe God has something for you and he does. It's not going to, it may not be a platform, it may not be bright lights, but God has something for every one of you. Keep going. Don't diminish who you are and what God can do through you. Please, don't bury dreams. Don't die with dreams because you don't think it can happen. How do we get these benefits? I got to finish up here. Number one, we learn, we got to learn the word. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in Mark 12, 24, and he says, your trouble is you don't know the scriptures. And most of us, we don't have faith in what God can do beyond who we are and what he wants to do in our lives because we don't read them or know them or believe them. Think through this. Most of us, your problem is not really your problem. You know that? Identify any problem you have right now. That's probably not your problem. You know what your problem is? Your problem is the response to the problem because a lot of people have had the same problems that you've had and sometimes people succeed and get through them with flying colors and learn and grow and move forward and other people get stuck in that same problem. What's the difference? It's the response to the problem. And if you understand and you get God's perspective, then every problem becomes an opportunity, an opportunity for growth, for prayer, to trust God more, to develop character and to believe that God can work through it and change it. That's why it's so important how we respond. Proverbs says it this way, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. In fact, what usually happens is this, is the things that cause death in our lives. I'm not talking about literal death. He's talking about spiritual death there, but he's also talking about death. Things around us die because we don't respond in God's ways because we don't know. And usually we respond in the very opposite way that God calls us to respond. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody really hurts us. So what do we do? I want exact revenge. And so we try and exact revenge, and then we begin to hold a grudge. The problem is we can't hold a grudge. The grudge always holds us back. Matthew 18 talks about how that unforgiveness imprisons our life. But that's our natural response. But God says, no, freely you've received, freely give, freely forgive. Be kind and compassionate toward one another. Jesus always wants us to respond out of his word. That's why we got to learn it so we know what to do and then we accept it. I accept God's authority in my life. There are things in the Bible I don't understand, but I will accept them. There are things in the Bible that I don't really like or they're inconvenient, but in my life, I accept them. There are things in there I wish God hadn't said, (laughs) but I accept it. Why is that? Psalm 139 verse 6 says this, this extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it, but I can sure accept it. And the commitment of my life is to trust him and to live his word. I have no right based on who I am to try and parse this thing out. God is God, I'm not, and neither are you. And the last thing is this, is we want to act on it. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Notice he doesn't say you'll be blessed if you write them down or take notes on them. He doesn't say you'll be blessed if you kind of understand them. He doesn't say that you'll be blessed by going to church. He says you'll be blessed by knowing and doing. 
And often the most secure and stable people I see are the people that do that. Here it is. You said it. I'm going to do it. That's what I want to challenge you with today, loved ones. God can change your life wherever you are, but that's the process that he'll use. Would you stand with me? bow your heads for a moment with me and let's just take a moment to kind of act and for some of us we're here today maybe there's something in your life that you want to change or you simply know needs to be changed I invite you just to in the quietness of this moment to say Lord is there anything something I need to grow in in my life that you want to touch, pinpoint, change. He'll never come with an accusing finger. He'll never come with a heavy-handed hand, but he'll come with the gentleness of his spirit to say, this is what I want to change. This is what I want to work on with you. And as we said last week, we really can't expect, or the week before, we can't expect to hear more truth from God if we don't begin to traffic in the truth that we're already hearing.